Welcome to the Inspirational Insights Podcast, the Insights to Action Podcast. I'm Donna Jones, your host, and uh, we here talk about how to take one idea and bridge it over to another and play with that. So today I'm having um, a lot of fun talking to my friend and colleague, Diana Larson, about agile fluency and just what does that mean in terms of obviously teams, but also we're going to expand the conversation to look at what does it mean to society and in particular, some of the the issues facing business right now and its relevance to society, namely racism, recovering from the pandemic, etc. So Diana, welcome to the program. Thank you, Donna. It's good to be here. Let's talk about how you got here. What's, uh, you know, <laughs> why are we, why, how did Agile Fluency come about? And you've had quite a journey in your professional life. So let's, let's kind of do a yeah. little bit of a recap. Yeah. Um, well, I started out um, way back when uh, in the sort of training and development arena, which kind of morphed into mostly um, organization development and then uh, organization design and work redesign projects. Um, So that was sort of the first, you know, 10 or 15 years of my career. And then um, as I was happily uh, doing the org design, work redesign work, so you know, using socio-technical systems perspectives and things like that, um, I had the great good fortune of bumping into uh, a number of the folks. I slowly but surely was finding a comfort zone in um, working with more technical people and specifically IT and software people. And as a result of that, um, I got, began to be invited to some events. And at one of those events um, in the late 90s, I had the opportunity to meet a number of the folks who later on became signers of the Agile Manifesto. And so we talked a lot about um, intersections, right? We talked a lot about how the work I had been doing in work process redesign and um, thinking about team development in those arenas, almost always when we went in to do work process redesign with any kind of knowledge workers, they created basically what at the time we called self-managing, but now we would call self-organizing cross-functional teams, right? And so, so we had some real uh, commonality in our, our understandings. And I had done a little more work in kind of the organizational change and change management area than they'd done. So they were pretty interested in that. And of course they had done a lot more work in the software world. So we had a lot of good things to exchange. And that pulled me into the, just the general agile community once the manifesto was written. And um, in that community, I began to see the things that were, that they needed that were, that I knew about from my work. And so I partnered with a number of folks, uh, Esther Derby, I partnered with to write the Agile Retrospectives book and partnered with a whole lot of practitioners around retrospectives. Um, and then, um, and partnered with Ainsley Neese to uh, write the book Liftoff, which is about uh, helping teams get started and specifically chartering teams as teams. And I began working a lot with um, James Shore because we were balancing our my sort of organizational and human systems focus with his technical 
and software systems focus and and he and, and both sharing a focus in the other's area we began working together more and um, started looking at things that led us to develop the uh, agile fluency model which was you know is there because we, we were hearing a lot about though there's only one white right way to do agile and you've got to you know you can't be agile or you can't do agile you have to be i mean it was just a lot of very dogmatic language and we wanted to move the conversation away from the dogma and kind of back to first principles focus on i mean the very first uh, value in the Agile Manifesto, or Manifesto for Agile Software Development, is individuals and actions over interactions over processes and tools. And the real focus there is on interactions because Agile is teams-based and teams are made up of humans. <laughs> Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and, and how they interact has a lot to do with how you know what the outcomes are that they create together and so we wanted to bring things back to those kind of first principles and and began working on a number of things but one of them ended up being um, more full-fledged of the agile fluency model which we wrote a description of put out in the world people started asking us questions and at that and asked us for implementation ideas and and so on and that led us to create uh where i'm working today which is the agile fluency project and our our work here is to just disseminate the um, agile fluency model ideas and the materials that we've created so that for other coaches to use and um our vision is that in every organization that says they're doing agile, there is agile being done well and the business is getting its needs met through that. And we knew that if just Jim and I were doing that, that was not a good scaling model. <laughs> so we decided, well, instead of just trying to do it ourselves, let's, let's share what we have with our, as many people in our community who are as interested in using it as we have we can find and so that's what we do now and we have about a little over 100 or right around 100 licensed facilitators now who are using our materials both as internal coaches and as uh, freelance or external coaches who go in to help a variety of companies and, and that feels pretty good to have generated that so that's my work now I'm the our job titles at the Agile Fluency Project are I'm the chief connector and James is the chief improver. <laughs> so, so I, I'm, you know, my, my job is to, uh, you know, create the, the organization and systems, uh, human systems uh, that will keep us moving forward. And he's working on the process systems and, uh, and other kinds of things. So, so it's a, it's a it's challenging and fun and um it was a huge challenge to all of a sudden realize that all that needed to be done remotely last april we had all we had been doing most of our training and coaching with folks remotely already um our program is built around a remote workshop that brings together people internationally uh into groups who who go through the program together. So that wasn't a challenge, but a lot of the other things that we were doing were more 
in-person things and or and to spread the word going to conferences meetups different things like that so it has been a challenge when the pandemic hit to recast our business model and and continue to improve it continue to figure out new things and then the incident with George Floyd happened, the murder of George Floyd happened, and that added a, another whole thread to to the work and to my outlook. I live in Portland, Oregon. We are now on, I believe, the 104th or 5th day of protests uh, to, for Black Lives Matter here. And so, yeah, so that, and now we have wildfires. So. Like when you and I started this call, I was still wearing my N95 mask because of the smoke. So 2020 has been a roller coaster of a year, that's for sure. And we need, we all need the resilience, no matter what our work is. We need to find our way toward resilience in this this time because there's so many things happening all at once. Now, I know you were deeply touched by what happened with George Floyd, and we've yeah. talked about lateraling over, you know, the, the principles and the practices of agile fluency into those conversations and yeah. into a, a more empathic uh, connection between right. who we are as people. I mean, you know, right. I, I've said it before, but I, I, I just echoing the words of Paul, Paul Rosalie, who just sort of says, you know, in the animal world, there's not an issue with color, but for some reason we seem to have a yeah. difficulty with that what what if what happens when you take the principles and practices of agile fluency and you apply it to issues like racism in the agile fluency model what we describe is four set of effective team behaviors fluent proficiencies that teams need in order to get for the business to get the outcomes they want from their teams to be able to, you know, keep moving their business forward and, and the, the set their expectations for teams. Well, the foundation, and, and so we describe those four different sort of ways of putting together an agile team and getting benefit from it as zones, fluency zones, we call them. And they are, they aggregate. You stop wherever it fits your needs, but if you need a different zone, you're going to have to aggregate everything that comes before. That's how fluency works. In language fluency, you have to be able to know how to say hello before you can teach a college class. I mean, you know, it's just, there's, there is an aggregation there, but not everybody wants to teach a college class. You might stop at just being able to have a conversation in your local cafe and be satisfied with that. Right. So, so that's the idea behind fluency. What we discovered is that for agile to be effective, and I think for a lot of ability for people to work together means the very first zone we call the focusing zone. And it is about developing the collaborative team skills and putting together a team that is appropriate to get the work done and and making sure that those folks on that team understand how to fo- how to focus their efforts on creating value for the customer and the business and that they know how to do that in such a way that the business can see from their point of view the incremental progress that's being made toward toward that end well that means 
people working together. And that means having all the right perspectives in the room, right? And so one of the things that, you know, what that means from a, from a standpoint of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and then count, you know, anti-racism, basically, is that, you know, we, ha we have to be able to work together a team. We have to be able to have the kinds of working agreements that allow us to work well together. We have to know what strengths each other brings and what what perspectives and skill sets we need on our team. So there's 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 definitely cognitive diversity, but there's also background diversity. And depending on what kind of product we're building, we need to represent our customer perspectives on our team. We can't rely on everything to be funneled through the single viewpoint of a product owner as the only only person who has any understanding of a customer. The, no, there needs to be more of that embedded in the team. And so that means we have to be open to all. And I think, you know, in, in just in the technical world, if we're building a product that's got any kind of AI in it, a lot of the technologies that are coming up against this uh, boundary that says you can't build for white people only and only have those perspectives considered and have a product that can have a broad uptake in the world. In the US right now, by only a little bit, white people are still the majority, but that's not true in the rest of the world. And most companies are providing worldwide products. They're not focused just on their region or their locality. And so that means we need to be, I'm just at a practical, not, I mean, there's the human heart level that calls to this, but at, on, on a practical business level, it means we need to be able to include all those people in our considerations and in the way we build and 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 so that's one part of it another part of it is there is a lot of talk about not being able to find the numbers of people with the skill sets that we need to build these products well they're out there we just have not been looking in the places that tell us that black folks people of other people of color, uh, LGBTQ people, folks, I mean, all the folks that we want to marginalize, all those folks have, there are folks who have technical skills that we could really benefit from. And so that's another, that's another way of thinking about this. If you really want to build teams that are going to be effective, you've got to open the doors. And then once you've opened those doors, you have to make it possible for people to have the psychological safety to stay. That's a big part of that focusing zone is creating a collaborative team where people can really work together and know the, the skills and techniques and, and all those things that it takes to build trust in the team and, and be able to, so that people can make their commitments, so that they can work through their conflicts, so that they can be creative together. I mean, that's a but another kind of progression. And um, so for me, it's fundamental, um, this ability to understand the value of and bring in all of those, all of those voices.
and it's great, great fun to learn. I mean, I, I find joy in, in learning about other cultures and in learning about how other people perceive the world and so on. I know that's not everybody's, you know, primary thing, but, but I think it's, I think it's terribly important and um, I just get joy from doing it. So, yeah. So now in terms of, of companies grasping this opportunity and grasping, I, I know in, in my decision-making work, right. it's very hard for, yeah. because they've, been, they've spent so much time resolving conflict, i.e. Right. not developing the skills to deal with diverse perspectives. Right. <laughs> That's right. the opposite of that. They're trying to make right. it go away. Right. And, and, but in order to actually work with you know, yeah. diverse perspectives, you have to have a, a better skill set, a stronger skill set. And, and we're in that zone. So are you seeing companies, you know, in, in the doorway through applying agile fluency and team, you know, diverse, you know, diversity in order right. to achieve those higher results, which the, the research is there for that. Right. We know, right. you know, that's it's, what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, it's the, the facts yeah. are there. The belief is another matter. Right. What, what are you seeing in terms of companies picking this up? What are you seeing in terms of companies processing a different reality? where diversity uh, is on the table now it's yeah. i mean it's always been under the table in terms of diversity and inclusion but i, I that's more been in terms of moral you know yeah. fairness versus right. actually grasping the real business case and value the real business case yeah right as in terms of direct experience i mean like i said we've got 100 facilitators licensed facilitators out there using our materials almost 100 now um it changes every day because new people are being trained but so I don't know what all of their experience is. I don't have a way, good way of collecting all of that. I know what my experience is. And I am fortunate in that I have achieved a, purely by hanging on, I guess, <laughs> I have achieved a, a status um, in, my, in my field where I, I can feel okay about choosing not to work with a client. And so, you know, at one level to find, to get folks, and, and I, you know, I talk a lot with other people who are in my sort of similar, uh, you know, Agile's been around for 20 years now. There's quite a few of us who've become sort of elder statespersons, uh, you know, in, in one way and another. And when I talk to those folks, 95, 98% of them have the kind of viewpoint I have, which is we want to work with the people who want to really get better and, and who understand the important, I mean, the human centeredness, the focus on improvement and the, and the resilience, the, the ability to respond to changing conditions, both in the code and in the broader world, are, you know, really fundamental to being an Agile practitioner. And so if, when I go into an organization, if I don't see that there is an openness and a willingness to move in those directions, I say, I don't see a path to success here. And I back away. Uh, I just say, you know, go find some other consultant who'll do that for you. Cause that's not, doesn't sound like fun work to me. It sounds hard. <laughs> it sounds harder than it needs to be. I mean, I'm willing to put in the effort, but I'm not willing to do 
you know, work where it's harder than it needs to be and where there's not a clear path to success. So, so I'm fortunate in that. So uh, that being said, most of my clients actually are, are very open and are very interested in ensuring that they are getting a diverse workforce uh, they are hiring for diverse workers. They are, you know, doing their best to learn about how to be more equitable, more inclusive, to create workplaces where people can feel comfortable. And, um, and because they, both because it's the right thing to do and because they know it's practical. They know, I mean, Google came out with the, um, what is it? The Aristotle Project, right? The, the psychological safety is the primary indicator of whether a team is going to be successfully deliver or not, right? And so the need for that is, the awareness for that is growing, at least among the people that I work with. And, um, and there are efforts being made to adjust in the ways they need to. Now, I know there are a lot of companies out there that aren't doing that. A lot of companies. Uh, I can I can work with maybe two or three companies a year. So my my set is small. But of course, I talk to a lot of people and I you know interact across and I read, and so I know that there, that's not necessarily the norm. And it depends on what industry you're in. Tech is really being pushed to come to grips with this. Other, other fields of work, not so much. Uh, law enforcement comes to mind. They're being pushed, but they're not open that I've been able to see. And so that's causing problems. I mean, when I, when I talked before about the, when you bring a group of people together, the first thing you want to begin doing is building trust. People have to show that they're trustworthy to each other, that they're willing to engage, that whatever the components of trust that's important to that group are being worked on. Because until you have at least some of that, nobody's going to make a commitment to anything. They're not going to make a commitment to the work. They're not going to make a commitment to the well-being of the group. And those two things are interlocked. You're not going to get good work if people aren't committed to each other, if they're working on a team. So it's that commitment. It's the understanding that people have that commitment to each other and to then that we're really committed to doing this work in the best possible way together that allows people to be able to deal effectively with conflict, Right. Absolutely. If I know that you care as much about the work as I do, and you've shown that you care about me and my need to get away to go pick my kids up from school or whatever it might be, and I've done the same for you, then if we have a difference of opinion on the product direction here, we can work through it. Yeah, yeah right? it's about we can, mutual respect, really. We have mutual respect. We can mm -hmm. figure it out. And once we've got a few of those working through conflict things under our belts, then when we have the kind of clash of ideas that comes with really moving in innovative and creative directions, we've already got the foundation for doing that, right? We can deal with that. And so I think a lot of American culture, American business culture, I don't know if it's North American, but 
I, I'll deal with my own space, is built on fear and avoidance of conflict. And every day I see more and more examples of where that trips us up as a culture. We have just embraced this fearfulness of the other, of new things, of, I mean, just all kinds of things. And I, you know, I mean, we can talk about where that comes from, but um, as Jerry Weinberg, who's a, a guru in the agile space, he passed away a few years ago, but he were after writing like 70 books or something, <laughs> he was early, early, did early work at NASA. He's just, yeah. Anyway, Jerry would say, you know, things are the way they are because they got that way. Right. <laughs> so we yeah. have to start from now. Yeah. Right. So I don't know how this culture of fear got created. I don't know. I mean, I know what some of the contributing factors are, but I don't know the dynamics of that. I don't know why we are so conflict avoidant, why we've never really learned to deal with differences, differences of opinion, differences of all on all kinds of dimensions. But I know that it is wrecking us. Because the demagogues of the world love to take that fear and that conflict avoidance and use it to their own ends. And play it. And play it. Yeah. And so if we don't figure out for ourselves how to manage our fear and how to, and how to get comfortable with having constructive conflict, conflict that moves us forward, that's not damaging, then, then we're in, we're in really big trouble as a culture. Um, And, and I think it's a primary thing we have to do. And the whole movement about anti-racism is a, is a gift, is a gift as a place to work on just exactly those issues. And, um, and I just, I just hope that more of us embrace that gift. Yeah, I think what you're really talking about here that excites me is that uh, we're shifting. We can consciously and intentionally shift from focusing on our fear. I mean, we've got the neural real estate in our heads that just feeds it and, you know, expands it and goes crazy. We've got the opportunity to be consciously intentional about learning, about learning with each thing that shows up. So instead of seeing everything as a threat, you know, oh my gosh, you've got an earring, that's a threat. Oh my yeah. goodness, you got a tattoo on your arm. That makes you, a th- oh my goodness, you've got long hair. I don't understand yeah. who you are. You're not, you might yeah. not be human. All yeah. of those kinds of filters that screen out, their, you know, uniqueness, not just right. different, but uniqueness and who yeah. you are as a unique individual can be replaced by curiosity. I mean, I yes. think it's Stephen Kotler said that um, vibration wise, fear and curiosity are, are the same frequency. Really? It's, it's more yeah. a matter of where you point. So if you point yeah. at fear, of course, there you go. But if you point at curiosity, my gosh, look what can be learned. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and I think fundamentally, if we look at society, and I'd like you to comment on this as well, uh, if we look at society and agility in terms of, uh, and fluency with agility in terms of societal health yeah. and well being, uh, this is, you know, this curiosity about who are you. And right. really, and, and, and deeply, and, right. and who, who are you in terms of your perspective that can off, offer, you know, technicolor and, and fill in some yeah. color on my own perspective. I think right. that's a huge opportunity in front of us right, right. now. 
Yeah, well, I've, I spent some time with my son, Willem, um, and we working on, in the, we're not doing this right now, but we have in the past, working on the idea of learning and fluency. And we have created a, a process and also a number of um, fluency models. The agile, agile fluency model is only is one of a number. And one of them um, had to do with how we interact with systems, human systems dynamics. And, and some of the language for this comes from the Human Systems Dynamics Institute, uh, which looks at complex adaptive human systems in a number of different ways. I recommend people go and check them out, hsdinstitute.org. One of the models that we created was about how do we learn to see our, the systems or to, to engage with systems. And what we discovered, the fluency progression there was first in just being able to see that a system exists. To be able to see that, oh, this thing, this place I find myself right now is this is is a system. It's a certain kind of system, which means it has parts and it exists in a greater whole, you know, a, a universe of bigger systems. I, I, I love to think about, you know, when I was a kid and I was, uh, had a pen pal and I, I sent her uh, a note with a return address that was, you know, me, uh, my home address, my city, my state, my country, my continent, the earth, the solar system, you know, <laughs> right? And I realized that even when I was a child, I was playing with that sort of embedded nature of systems, right? And, um, and so first we have to be able to see the systems. We have to see that there are systems around us that they act on us and we help to create them all the time. As a part of a system, I have a certain amount of influence on that system because of the way that I interact with the other parts of the system. Those interactions and it's how we manage those differences because all the parts are different. How we manage those differences and how we respond to them, the exchanges, the transactions, the interactions that we do as part of that are what create the nature of the system that we are in, right? And so, so, so seeing, being able to see there's a system and then being able to understand those dynamics that are, is the next step. So what are those dynamics? What, what goes on, you know, if so-and-so does this, then that, and then we, or we have this kind of meeting, or we do this other thing, how does that shift things, right? It's what change management's all about, frankly. You know, I mean, it's, it's only, kind of, this is on a much more simplistic descriptive level. And then once we can see a system and understand what's going on in it, then we need to learn to influence the system. How can we have a greater influence? We can't just you know, know that it, I could change this meeting, but, but what do we, you know, what are the implications of that? What insights do we get from that? And then out of that, then, you know, the next step from that is then actually being able to intentionally create systems that we want and intentionally um, influence on a bigger scale. So I think that, that is at play no matter where we go. That, that, progression of fluency about systems that the understanding is kind of systems thinking right 
and then and then systems influencing comes beyond that so um i think that's going on i think the more we can know that i mean that's the place to get curious right you're talking about one of the other things that a language jargony language that i use that comes from the human systems dynamics institute is sort of staying in inquiry you know that curiosity about the world asking the questions Another stream of organization development work is appreciative inquiry, or yeah, it's called appreciative inquiry. And one of their basic principles is as soon as we begin to ask the questions, we begin to influence what's happening. It's as long as we don't question, we just sit with our assumptions, we never, status quo, not going to move it, going to be stay right here in my comfort zone. I found a, a status quo comfort zone that's good for me. I'm not moving. I don't want any new information. As long as we're there, we can't do anything. We can't make any change. We can't. I used to be in a, a group that would said, plants only grow when you put fertilizer on them. <laughs> and only they used other terms for the fertilizer. So, <laughs> so, and that's, you know, that's the thing. We never grow from our comfort zone. We need that. We need to move through the tough times and that's how we learn about ourselves. Yeah. So in some level, while I've been knocked off balance by the pandemic and the, you know, all the other things we talked about now, the wildfires and that are creeping in and closer, you know, I got knocked off balance from that and I'm getting, I'm finding my balance more quickly, been conscious about it in the past. And I've learned from those previous experiences. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's the big deal. I mean, adversity is the best teacher we could possibly have. And it's also the the best opening for transcending, you know, and reinventing whole new order of of things as well. And, and people suffer for it. You know, that there is, there is, you know, real damage to people. And, 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 and and that's, you know, that also, for me, there's a compassion that has to come along with it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it, it is the only way forward. So. Yeah, I agree fully. Diana, do you have uh, a place where people can go to learn more about Agile Fluency or in any other comments you'd like to make? Um, agilefluency.org. No dashes, no anything, just all one word. Agilefluency.org is our website and um, lots of things there. We also have a YouTube channel, got, you know, various kinds of things you can access, but that's the place to really go to look for those things. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? No, I, well, I love these conversations that you're having with folks and uh, the way you are bringing together sort of abstract thought from many different fields to create new, new understandings. I think that's um, new insights, right? Um, oh, beautiful. Thank I just you. think that's, I think this is so valuable. Yeah. Thank you, Diana. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you. I'm Donna Jones. I provide personal growth for business, mentoring leaders and decision makers who are really ready to adapt their awareness and inner skill set to both meet and match the complexity and speed of change. I also bring intuitive insight into decision making and leadership expansion so that collaboration can benefit from conflicting perspectives and higher trust. I am betting a healthy balance between certainty and uncertainty. Growth at a personal and organizational level has a serious chance. Contact me through LinkedIn or through www.fromInsight2Action.com. And it's Donna, D-A-W-N-A.